Welcome to the Inspiring Adventure Podcast from Vertebrate Publishing, connecting you with the great outdoors through literature. Welcome back and thanks for joining us for episode four of the Inspiring Adventure Podcast from Vertebrate Publishing. I'm your host, Ray, and this week I'm interviewing best-selling author John D. Burns about his life and love of wilderness. John D. Burns is a mountaineer, storyteller and author. His first two books, The Last Hill Walker and Bothy Tales, were self-published bestsellers and were both shortlisted for the TGO magazine's Outdoor Book of the Year. Earlier this year, John joined Vertebrate Publishing with a three-book deal to produce a new paperback edition of The Last Hill Walker and Bothy Tales, alongside his latest title, the novel Skydance, all of which were published in September. John is currently working on his next title, Wild Winter, that is due to be published in the autumn of 2020. John is a gifted storyteller, and his performance poetry and one-man plays have taken him across the country, from the Edinburgh Fringe to mountain festivals, bookshops and theatres and back again. His passion for the hills, mountaineering, bothies, and keeping the great outdoors great and accessible to all is clear and infectious. I met John at the incredible independent Nottingham bookshop, Five Leaves, just before one of his events, to chat about his life in wild and wonderful places, the lure of snow, and how both of these influence his writing. So you are John Burns. That's right. (laughs) And we're here in Nottingham in the Five Leaves bookshop. Yeah, it's a great little bookshop, isn't it? It's a fabulous little bookshop. Quite a selection. Yeah, yeah, a lot of of good outdoor books. Including my own, of course. Including your own. And you're here to do an event tonight. Yes, that's Um, right. I'll start, I suppose, with um, a quick question about what it was that initially drew you outdoors. What took you into that great outdoors that's become such a focal point in your writing? Yeah, well, I've been wandering the outdoors now for over 40 years, and I'm still trying to figure out why, really. But I, I, I think one of, one of it dates back to, I, I can recall uh, one of my earliest memories as a child. I grew up on Merseyside, and it felt like the middle of the night when my dad lifted me out of bed, and he wrapped me in a, in a blanket, he took me downstairs, and opened the front door. And I can remember this was in the winter and our garden had been transformed. It was a beautiful, magical place. And it had snowed, just about an inch or so of snow, not a lot, but enough to transform the place into some like, like some sort of sparkling Narnia, you know? <laughs> that impression stayed with me. And it, I think the, my fascination with snow and with wild places just grew over the years. That, that has remained with me. I still find it fascinating how snow can transform a landscape. Mm. And I think that's really why I'm also very uh, interested and very involved with it. I love winter. I love winter, really. Yeah. And I think that that's because winter takes the ordinary landscape and transforms it into something amazing. And like in the mountains on Ben Nevis, in, in the summer, it's a fairly ordinary place to go, I feel. But in the winter, it becomes somewhere else. It becomes a place full of where you can have adventures and where there are monsters and where it's, a, it's just a different world. And I really love that and venturing into it. So I'm still, I'm still to this day, where I live, I can see the summit of Ben Wivis, uh, about 15 miles from where I live. In the autumn, 
every morning when I look out, I always look across to Ben Wibis just to see if it's dusted white. And when it is, which it is today, which it is right mm. now, it's an amazing sight. And I always, that always fools me full of excitement. Yes, and that's presumably part of what's drawing you into the research for your next book, which I believe is all about wild winters. Yeah, wild winter. I wanted to, 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 to write about almost like a diary of a winter. Mm. Now, the thing about it is that you, 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 these days you never know what the winter's going to bring. It, it, could, it could just bring floods and winds or it could bring dramatic winters and and we could all get snowed in again and the whole place could <laughs> grind to a halt. You just do not know. But my, my concept of winter, my idea of winter, what I, what I started doing only a few weeks ago in, 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 in October, uh, I went out into the highlands in the dark, you know, at night, uh, waited for the dawn, because what I wanted to do was watch stags rotting, you know, that, that yes. main conflict they have. Because for years I've, I, I've been in the highlands and I've, I've heard stags roaring, you can hear them all over the highlands in October. And that seems to me to symbolise the, the start of the winter. That's the start of the transformation of the landscape. So although maybe officially it ain't winter, in, 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 to, to my mind, to my imagination, it's winter. And what I want to do is to follow through the months and to write about the, the iconic animals that I come across. I want to try and seek out pine martin and hopefully wildcat, maybe even capercaillie. Uh, that might be a, a bit of a long shot, but but I'm going to try and find some of these these animals and, and and read sort of try and understand what their lives are like, what what challenges they face, things like the 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 destruction of uh, of mountain hares, things like that, and follow that through. My idea is to follow that through with the seasons as the seasons change, seeing the different things that I do, into probably into May. Now, yeah. May might not sound like winter, but May can, May can be winter in the Highlands oh, quite yeah. easily. But it's also a time, May is when the fawns that were uh, conceived in the rut in October are born. Yeah. And that seems to me to be like a natural winter. So it's my exploration, my, my life in those wild places. And so far, it's been pretty wild this winter, I can tell you. <laughs> well, it's certainly an unpredictable season yeah. um, and, and has its fair share of challenges, I imagine. It certainly does, yeah. You must encounter so much wildlife in your exploration no, well wildlife <laughs> yes and no well, uh, <laughs> well it's a strange thing watching wildlife you yeah. can go for uh, weeks or hours days searching for, for yeah. a particular animal and you won't see it no. uh, and then you almost fall over it one day um, one of the funny things often you don't see as much see as many animals as you actually would ex expect but what you can do if you look there are the signs of these animals yes. everywhere. One of the bothies I go to regularly, if you know where to look, you can see that there are badger prints and pine martin prints. You can, and you can almost follow them. I was in a bothie uh, three nights ago. As I walked out of it, there's a wee sandy bank by, by a river. And I, can, I can't resist looking at, at sandy banks <laughs> because they, they tell that they're like, they're like um, what's the word? They're, it's like with a signature of every animal, every creature yeah. that passes across them is, uh, is seen, you know. And I searched this bank in the middle of the right up in Sutherland. Nothing, no signs, nothing. And then I spotted just one, just one otter paw print, where I think a dog otter, and I don't need to see it, 
I can kind of, I know what it's done. And it yeah. had just stepped out of the water. And then it, it had walked onto a shingle bank. And I can't track it over, sing, no. over shingle. But I knew that at the, at the far end of the shingle bank, there's another beach. And so I followed down there. And, and, and otters don't obviously stray far from water. They're not daft. And, and you could see where it, it had walked out of there and gone slipped back into the water. Mm. That kind of thing amazes me. I do see quite a lot of otters, I suppose. I see I see more wildlife than most people, really. Even where I live, I live in Inverness, and in the in the River Ness outside my house, you'll get you'll, you'll get otter swimming past, you'll get seal. Uh, I kind of take that sort of thing for granted, but yeah. it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. It's a bit different to the uh, domestic cats that I see. How many domestic cats? That, that, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, this is my um, plan for wild winter, is that I'm going to try and see wild cats. There's yeah. a little colony of wildcats that I know of, but they are not easy to see. No. Um, one of the things I'm going to, I'm going to this is my next my next idea for all this, I'm going to buy a little a little camera trap, and yeah. I'm going to set that up so I, I, I can I can watch these things from the comfort of my own home. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Absolutely. <laughs> You've obviously found encountering the wild spaces and the great outdoors something that's I would say almost been irresistible. Yeah. Um, but there must be some hurdles that face folks today in in following that. Sort well, of that's stuff. right. I, I I think you know when I look back. When I started hill walking, I think actually it was much easier for me and a few of my mates to get together and to go out into the hills. We didn't have much money, we didn't have much in the way of equipment, but there was a, a freer atmosphere then, I think. And I think for young people now, young, I'm starting to say young people today, you see, <laughs> getting on a bit now. But yeah, I think, I think it, there are a lot more barriers. We at least. Uh, once we got a job, it was almost like a job for life. It was settled. It was easier for us to get accommodation. It was mm. easier for us to, to to get ourselves set up. We didn't have the the tremendous pressures that mm. I think young people have in terms financially, and also I think in terms of getting you know a stable job that pays a a reasonable living these days is really difficult. Mm. When I went to university, I got a grant. The government gave me money. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have to pay that back. And now young people leave burdened with debt mm. and, and in a place where the employment that they can find is much more difficult. And those are pressures that act on people. Mm. And I think that makes it difficult to, to explore your, your free time. Yeah. There's a lot more things that you can do that, mm. that, that draw you in. And we've got the internet, which I think is a very... It's a mixed blessing. You can find out a lot. It gives you a lot of freedom. I couldn't do what I do in terms of writing. And, and, and when I started out in self-publishing before Vertebrate mm -hmm. Publishing took me on, but, but I couldn't have done that. But the downside of that is that um, when I started, you kind of had to join a club. You had to go along and mm. meet with a load of blokes and beards and, and pullovers. And they'd show you where to go. They'd show you how to climb and show you how to tie knots and all that sort of stuff. That has kind of gone... The club mm. is not exactly dead, but that community has, has vanished. And also, I think when, when I were, were started in, in, in hill walking, you were either a climber or a hill walker, and that's more or less what you did. What you're, you, mm. you, you met with other people who had the same interests. You were part of a, a very definite subculture community. Yeah. That doesn't exist. I don't think I get used to. You know, we, we people people have got a, this sort of bucket list ideas. You tick <laughs> things off, but that means that you don't actually get involved in depth in really anything. 
Mm. Uh, that's maybe not a, a great way to go. Culture has changed. Yeah. We have moved on. But I think all those pressures, uh, I think, make it a lot more difficult for younger people to, to get into mm. the outdoors. Certainly it was in my day. Yeah, more of a, a luxury than, than something that you can indulge in yeah. with frequency. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's right. What have been some of your favourite or most memorable encounters in, in your hills? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's there's a couple of a couple of instances, a, t- a couple of things that I can really uh, relate to as sort of seminal moments mm. in what's happened to me in recent years. Really, I. I began to get interested in wildlife, into the wild creatures that inhabit our hills. Uh, I'd always been interested, but I'd never really followed that through. I always had something else to do. But I remember there was one one winter's day. I was I was up on Darva Moor, which is a high moor, sort of on the edges of the Cairngorms. It was a snowy day. I was walking along this track, and I noticed a little stoat pop out of the hedgerow. And some stoats, in, in winter, they, 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 they sort of put on their ermine coat, you know. Mm. And some stoats don't, no one really knows why. <laughs> uh, but this little bloke was in ermine, and uh, it was all white apart from the little tip of his tail. Yes. And I, it was because of the snow, because, uh, because he couldn't hear me. He danced about, maybe for a couple of minutes, right in front of me. And then did a sort of a, a Chuckle Brothers di- double take when he spotted me. <laughs> and boom, was gone. And I, I don't know, there was something about that sighting of that wild creature that stayed with me. Mm. As I have a kind of feeling that, 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 that in, in Britain, certainly, we don't really have any areas of wilderness. Mm. Pretty much everywhere has been changed, not for the better usually, by the hand of man. There are, I think you can still glimpse what I call moments of wildness. Mm. Um, I think that, I mean, that stoat was a wild creature in a wild place and that was a fantastic thing to see so that stayed with me i wouldn't call myself a naturalist i don't know a great deal i feel incredibly ignorant about things (laughs) you know Uh, i can i spot a bird and i think what the hell is that you know it spends me hours flicking through books trying to identify them i'm beginning to learn i'm beginning to learn slowly a couple of years ago i caught my first glimpse of a hen harrier male hen harrier hen harriers tend to, to, I know now, I didn't know that, I didn't know what it was when I saw it. <laughs> hen harriers tend to hug the ground. They, they shouldn't really call, be called hen harriers. Because uh, when they hug the ground and, and sort of fly a few feet above the ground, weave in and out of bushes and over the heather, what they're actually looking for is voles. Uh, they should really be called vole harriers, but anyway. <laughs> it doesn't and have I, the same ring. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring, it doesn't, does it? Hen harrier is much better, isn't it? And I, 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 I happen to be going to the same glen quite regularly and over, I suppose you would call it the breeding season, when this hen, hen the male hen harriers sometimes have more than one brood. So, so this poor old hen harrier was <laughs> working, his, working his wings off, he was, hunting for voles to feed at least two families, I reckon, because you could see him. And, that, that, and it, it was an incredible sight to see this, this beautiful bird so yeah. close. And it was really then that I began to learn about what was happening to hen harriers and how persecuted they were. Yeah. And that affected me as well and mm-hmm. has led really to my to my belief in my, my, my campaigning for, for, for wild creatures, which is which is at least in part what um, my last book, um, Skydance, was about. 
Yes, I was going to say, it's ringing very true of the chapter I've just read about um, the hen harrier that is killed in oh, Skydance. Right. So it's, <laughs> yes, it's bringing there's it a hen... to life. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, sadly, sadly in, in England, it's even worse in England. I think there's only about half a dozen breeding yeah. birds in England because they are shot mercilessly, mercilessly yeah. over, over driven grouse moors. It's as simple as that. Yes, which, of course, is quite a big topic in Skydance and stuff that you've you've touched on. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm really got interested in and, and committed to how our, our land is used. You know, when I, when I was younger and I, and I went into the hills, I was pretty naive, I suppose, and I, yeah. and I saw an, what I thought was an amazing wild environment uh, that was that, that, you know, rolling hills going on forever. But mm-hmm. I now realise that actually the, the, the hills that I'm seeing are, are, are ravaged in a way by, by overgrazing, by, by deer and sheep, and, and, and a lot of them are destroyed by driven grouse moors, which you know, eradicate a lot of the wildlife, which, which damages the, the, the peat, the peat mass, mm-hmm. and which do an awful lot of damage. And, and so it, it's changed things for me in, in, in that I, I now see a very different place when I go into the hills. Mm-hmm. I now see a place that is, that is ravaged and damaged, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. we... we <laughs> If we the way I way I think you can you can you can envisage it is this that, that you, we've all read like dystopian novels where <laughs> aliens come down and, and, and onto the earth and uh, and destroy our civilization and uh, and hunt down human beings mm. and leave a, a, a wasted environment for a lot of uh, creatures mm. that holocaust that that destruction by aliens has already happened. Uh, truth is that it's we who are the aliens. Yes. We have done that destruction. Yeah, there's definitely a very human footprint on so many of what we would like to call wild places. Yeah, isn't there? yeah, there and is. Yeah, it's quite a hard uh, thing to come to grips with, I suppose, <laughs> or, or to come to terms with the, the places yeah, yeah. we love are to an extent being destroyed. Yeah, yeah, but I, th- I think that awareness is quite important, though. I think mm. it is changing. Uh, certainly, when I started hill walking and climbing. We didn't really think about the environment. It no. wasn't something that really occupied our minds. We wanted to climb things, we wanted to get up things, we wanted to do routes, we wanted to do hills. And we did those and sort of accepted, well, this is the way it is. Yes. And it never occurred to us that actually, actually the Highland Hills should be forested. Actually, there should be lynx living there. Mm. Actually, it should be a, a wonderful wild environment. Mm. And it's not. It's, it's, it's destroyed. Part of that comes down to the fact that, obviously, the, the, the way land ownership is in Scotland. In Scotland only about 600 people own most of Scotland mm. and Scotland is, you know, the Highlands is a massive place mm. and also the Highlands is as big as Belgium but that only helps if you know how big <laughs> Belgium is but it's big and the, so there are vast areas owned by a few people and that seems to me to be crazy that in 2019 mm. we are still uh, basically governed by what are effectively accidents of history that mm. made one particular man and one particular family own huge areas and people own vast areas in Scotland literally as far as the eye can see is, is, mm. is, is not un- uncommon at all and it shouldn't be, be down just these few people to decide what happens to what is our land Yeah, there's something about those Scottish wild places that are, are obviously quite remote compared to here in Nottingham yeah, for example yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. and so much of your writing seems focused on these remote places there must be something about that that, that draws you I think I, I like going to remote places I like to be going to places that are extreme I like to go to places that, 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 that are where 
where there is a certain degree of wildness where, where and I think that that draws me back um, I think it, it's a straight I, I seek out solitude mm. often go with other people but I also uh, I think there is something special about being alone in a place like that mm. I think that there's a massive difference between loneliness and solitude Absolutely. I think solitude is something you choose loneliness is mm. something that, that you don't choose it's thrust upon you if you like but I think that, that if, you, if you walk through a landscape on your own, you, you, you become much more in tune with it. Mm. If, you, if someone's with you, you're chatting, you're talking, or you're maybe talking about TV, you're talking about what's going on, you're talking about Brexit or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> and, and that brings a kind of layer of civilization which kind of gets in between you and the landscape and what's going on. And I find myself wandering these wild places and just every now and again just taking time to look and I think it, that contact is much more intense mm. in, in a remote place particularly when you're when you're on your own yeah it's something quite fascinating isn't there about just oh, I think so there's the rest of me there's yes me. Yeah. <laughs> and that comes through in your writing I think that yeah. there is or it could be just I'm antisocial <laughs> I don't know that could be, that could be, you never know do you is there something um special would you say about Scotland compared to to other places given that you've said you hail from Merseyside but but it's Scotland that's well I think Scotland captured my imagination years and years ago where when me and my friends we walked the Pennine Way we wandered about Mm. in the Lake District we came to Glencoe Mm. and I couldn't believe how rugged the landscape was how wild it seemed how extreme Mm. it was and then we we, we backpacked across Noidart I remember our, our amazement when there were no paths. Now, yes. I was used to Merseyside. There was, there was, there was gates and there was fences and there was signs. You can't go here. There's no trespass in there. You can't do that. But in, here, so few people have been at some of these places. There were absolute. There were actually no paths. We couldn't believe mm. that. And it just seemed that to me that the, 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 the possibilities, the, the opportunity to to wander and explore, mm. in the Highlands and the Islands was 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 enormous. Was uh, was almost. Mm unfathomable and it is because in a way because I'm still doing it now yeah. and that's years and years and the more years I can remember that we actually engage with that and I still more to see more places mm. to go more things to find more animals to have contact with so that fascination not died it's grown yes I recently interviewed Helen and Paul Webster oh right yeah yeah, yeah. Bagging. yeah yeah it's a great book and yeah. yeah I it's totally blown me away the photography there and I'm hate to say it but I've never visited Scotland it's somewhere You've I'm never... still ignorant well I said thank you very much good night <laughs> and, and all of this the, the talking with them the talking with you it's somewhere that I feel very drawn to go and visit it's all right yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and they described the the Scottish island bagging travel trend as a slow tourism about somewhere where you really have to just take your time and yeah, to, yeah, to fully yeah. immerse yourself and I kind of get that same expression from from your writing that it's it's something that you've immersed yourself into it's not just yes absolutely I, I, I think it's you can st- it, I think you're stepping out of the ordinary world yes. when you step out into wild and isolated places yesterday I was peering over a cliff uh, <laughs> lying in sheep poo watching but I was watching <laughs> seals feeding their young you know and, yeah. and, and not many people have seen that it's a different place to be yeah. uh, I think not many people would be too surprised to hear that <laughs> but um, but that, to me that's special 
So yeah, I, I think there's a quality that you can't get in other places. No, and that certainly comes across in your writing, which is well. That's great. That's we great. can't wait to hear more from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, 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 I'm still knocking it out, you know. Still yeah. Working with it. <laughs> I, anywhere next on your sort of hit list of bothies? <laughs> oh God, what am I doing next? I'm hoping to visit uh, a pine martin's uh, hide. Not, not the, the pine martin doesn't own the hide, somebody else does. <laughs> to see uh, pine martin one dark night fairly soon. Uh, I, I've seen pine martin in the past, but only glimpses. Uh, but I'm going out of my way now to actually observe these animals and get, uh, and get to know them a bit better. And I'm also going to go looking for, for mountain hare uh, fairly short, shortly. Because this is the time of year when obviously they've changed white and, it's, and, yeah. and they're spectac quite spectacular animals, quite special animals. So those are just a couple of the things I'm doing. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of Thank luck you. in spotting both of those. And uh, hopefully you'll send us some photos or some uh, well, I'll try and do that. We'd yeah. love to see more. It, it, uh, it'll all be... Uh, I tend not to capture things in photos. I'm trying to capture things in words. So it'll <laughs> all be in wild winter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks very Thanks much for much. joining me. Nice to talk to you. Skydance is John's first novel. It's a gripping read and view into the beauty of rural and wild Scotland, but also delves into the politics of land ownership, raptor persecution and conservation, challenging readers to face issues that surround the protection and access to some of the UK's last wild places. To read it for yourself, you can order signed copies from v-publishing.co.uk, where we're running a 30% off site-wide deal until Sunday the 17th of November. Or keep an eye out for other offers in the run-up to Christmas, including a three-for-two on all of John's titles. Check out the show notes for all of these links. We'll be back again in a fortnight with an interview between two climbing legends, Jerry Moffat and Pete Whitaker. Be sure to join us for that. You've been listening to the Inspiring Adventure podcast from Vertebrate Publishing. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube by searching for Vertebrate Publishing. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through your favourite podcasting app.